Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Melissa, how are you doing today? I am pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I am excited about today's topic, but also want to give a little warning to everyone that we're going to be talking about authentication, which is crucial to getting into the inbox, but it's one of those topics that can go super deep and get super technical. And in order to serve everyone listening, We're going to start with the basics, the things that everyone should know to make sure you're passing authentication, and then we're going to get deeper. We're going to dive into the technical aspects, which isn't for everyone, and that's okay. So we'll give you a little warning before we start to dive in super deep into SPF, DKIM, and DMARC so that if you're a person who doesn't really care about the ins and outs of that, you can feel free to lovingly turn us off. I'm sure there's going to be things that I might even learn today. (laughs) So (laughs) I don't think anyone should feel bad about feeling a little bit overwhelmed if some of these things seem to be a little bit too advanced or just not quite up your alley. So yeah, don't feel bad if you are feeling a little bit overwhelmed because it's definitely a lot to go over today. It is a lot. And it's going to be interesting to deliver the content over a podcast because It's much easier to see it visually, to see examples. So in case you didn't know this already, with every single podcast episode we put out, we also put out a blog post and typically we'll include some graphics and visuals for you there. So I'd highly recommend, especially for this one, making sure you look at that blog post and I will add more visuals that make this topic a little bit easier to understand. And like Melissa said, it took me at least a year to fully understand all of these topics. And I had to see it over and over and see examples and really be in it every day. So if after listening to this podcast episode, you don't fully understand the inner workings of SPF, DKIM, and DMARC, it's totally okay. But again, our blog post should help just add some visual elements to it. Right. Just give enough so that If you feel like there might be something going on with your deliverability, this is just one of those topics that it might be important to kind of pay attention to. And then if it's not something affecting you, then you don't really have to to really think about that. Yeah, exactly. So early on in the podcast, we'll help you understand the three types of authentication that we'll be discussing today. And those are SPF, DKIM, and DMARC. And not everyone uses DMARC. So you might be listening to this and you don't even have a DMARC record on your domain, but we'll help you understand how to know that. So first off, do you want to dive into why authentication exists? What does it do for subscribers? Absolutely. So authentication is important because it basically helps verify that a message is coming from that sender. It hasn't always been that way throughout email history. People, we've talked about this in a previous podcast episode where people could just send messages from anything to anyone and there was no way to really have a lot of security. So phishing and spam was a big problem. And these are a few solutions that have come out of sort of those issues from the past. Yep, exactly. So 
The big problem authentication is trying to solve is what's called spoofing. So spoofing is when someone sends an email from an email address pretending to be a sender that they're not. So if I decided to send an email from your bank's domain and tell you that I need your password, I would be spoofing your bank. And that's a very popular technique for spammers and fishers. They really seem to love to spoof PayPal, for example. Netflix is a possible or it's a popular business that's spoofed lately. So The goal of authentication is to make it not possible to send an email from a domain unless you actually own that domain or are verified to send from it. Right. And you can see a small example of this. If you send an email, let's just use ConvertKit as the example. If you send ConvertKit an email through us and you send from your own address, like, well, you can use Melissa at ConvertKit.com, and then you send an email to yourself to Melissa at ConvertKit.com, sometimes a little bar will come up at the top of Gmail and it'll say, are you sure you want to open this email or is this a safe sender? Basically, because I'm sending an email from myself to myself and Gmail is doing its job by making sure that someone is not pretending to be me. That's a common question we get from customers when they're testing. They send an email to themselves and they wonder, like, is this happening to my subscribers? And that's just an example of a potential opportunity of spoofing. Exactly. That's such a good real world example. I know when I go through my work spam folder, I often see messages from Nathan Berry, our CEO, and he says something like, Alyssa, call me now. This is important. Or send me some document, whatever. And it's not Nathan. (laughs) And it's someone spoofing him. So a really popular spoofing technique is to send someone an email from within their own organization to piggyback on the trust that they already have with that human that they think the email is coming from. So that's a really great example and a reason why if you send an email from your domain to your domain, you might see some deliverability issues just because your system is trying to keep you safe. Right. So the reason that SPF, DKIM, and DMARC exist is to make sure that this isn't happening. And before we dive into the technical stuff, we want to give you the information that you need the most. We want to make sure that you're passing authentication. This isn't something that you need to have a huge technical background for. You can check a few things with your domain. Um, You can do some testing from your account to make sure that you're passing what you need to pass and that you don't need to add or take away anything. Yeah. The fun thing about this episode that is a little bit different from others is authentication is absolutely necessary for good deliverability. And it's something you can fix like the flip of a switch, which isn't typically the case. If you have an engagement issue or a reputation issue, those sorts of things take longer. It's not as satisfactory. It's not a great feeling. You know, you have to wait. You have to have some patience. But with authentication, if your messages are going to spam because your message is failing authentication, fixing that problem is going to immediately typically send your emails to the inbox. So that's a great thing about this episode. And we want to start by just giving you the basic information you need to know if your messages are being authenticated properly. The good news is if you're listening to this podcast, you probably are using an ESP, an email service provider like ConvertKit. So usually those ESPs are going to handle all basic authentication for you. You're probably fine if you're listening to this. You probably don't really have much you need to do. However, 
Some people do add a DMARC record to their domain. Sometimes they don't even know what that really is doing, but they just read somewhere that it's a best practice. And if you're using DMARC, there is an extra step you typically need to take with your ESP to make your messages pass authentication. Okay, so an important piece of information you need to know is that emails actually have two from addresses, and this is something that may not be super obvious to someone who is like new to email marketing or maybe hasn't been doing it very long. There's a friendly from address, and that's going to be the address that you've entered into your ESP. And that's the one that your customers or your audience recognizes. The from address is used by humans. Yeah, and there's also a a from address that's being used kind of in the background of the message. That's called a return path address. And that email address is used mostly by the machines to understand who is sending the email. And by default, that return path address is going to be your ESP's domain. So if you're a ConvertKit customer, by default, that's going to be a ConvertKit domain. But that domain isn't seen by your subscribers unless they go and pull the headers of your message, which is very unlikely to happen. They are going to see that friendly from that Melissa mentioned. And again, that's your domain that your subscribers know, and that's what they'll see in their inbox. Right. And just to give some worldly examples, we're going to jump into ConvertKit specifically, because if you're a customer of ours, then it will help you kind of understand what's going on in your account and on our end. And if you're not a ConvertKit customer, this will just generally help explain an example from a real ESP. So when you create a ConvertKit account, you start sending messages, you'll automatically pass SPF and DKIM. SPF and DKIM will pass using ConvertKit's domain. If you do have a DMARC record on your domain, you'll need to do that extra step like Alyssa mentioned. If you don't have that record, there's nothing else you have to do to pass. Right. So again, if you are not using DMARC, you're all set. The second you start to use ConvertKit, and this is likely what's going on with any other ESP, because we're using our domain in the background of the email and we're sending with our IP address as ConvertKit. So we're gonna automatically handle all that for you. One thing you're probably wondering is, how do I know if I'm using DMARC? Because you guys keep mentioning that. So I'd highly recommend just doing a lookup online. I personally use demartian.com a lot. I'll be sure to link that in the show notes and on our blog post. But there, you can just enter your domain and it will pop up and tell you if you have a DMARC record. We'll get more into DMARC and how that all works. But if you enter your domain into any DMARC record tool on the internet and it says you have a DMARC record, then you need to take an extra step and set up a verified sending domain within ConvertKit if you're a ConvertKit customer. And that happens in your settings. And once you do that, it'll give you two CNAME records to add to your DNS. I know those words and acronyms might sound like it's hard or difficult, but it really isn't. If you can just go into your domains settings, wherever you're hosting your website, all you have to do is add two records. They're both CNAME records, and that will make sure that your messages are not only showing your domain in that friendly from where it's already appearing, but now your domain is going to also be the return path domain that we mentioned earlier. So that's usually ConvertKit's domain, but instead it'll be your domain in the background and what subscribers are seeing. And we're also gonna use your domain to sign DKIM. 
So that just gives your message a nice alignment. It kind of gives it extra security. It also means you will be using your domain reputation a lot heavier. So you wanna be sure that you have a healthy sending reputation if you're going to set up a verified sending domain. And a lot of people do go to their host and ask their host for help. So if you feel overwhelmed by that, you know, by all this information with the acronyms, because it definitely can be, then feel free to also, if you have um, support through your host, you can always go and let them know, like, I need to set up these CNAME records and I just want to make sure I'm putting them in the right place. And like Alyssa said, it sounds a little overwhelming. It's really not as bad as it seems. But yeah, I mean, if you need to reach out for help, definitely reach out to your host if you need some clarification. Yeah, exactly. Every host should have pretty good documentation too online for how to add a CNAME record. So feel free to Google the name of your host, maybe it's GoDaddy, and then how to add CNAME record. And that usually will give you the information that you need. So to sum up the general, how can I make sure my messages are passing authentication, If you're using an ESP, SPF and DKIM are going to automatically be covered for you and taken care of. If you have a DMARC record on your domain, you're going to need to take an extra step because the way DMARC works is it relies on the friendly from address being the same domain as the return path domain or the DKIM signing domain. So (laughs) one good way to just check If you are like, wow, this is way too much information, there are a lot of acronyms, I just wanna know, are my messages authenticated? You can do that right now, anytime, by sending yourself a test email from your ESP and then pulling the message headers. Again, I would just Google how to pull message headers. I know in Gmail, whenever you're looking at a message, there are three vertical dots next to the reply button. You click on that and you click, I believe it's show original. Yeah. And then right there, Gmail makes it really easy. They have SPF, DKIM, and DMARC kind of in a table at the top of the page that will pop up. And it will tell you SPF, pass or fail, DKIM, pass or fail. If you have a DMARC record, it'll say DMARC, pass or fail. So you're looking for all of those to say pass. If any of them say fail, then you know that there's an issue and you should reach out to your ESP. I feel like that's a really good summary. It is a lot. It's hard to kind of get down to the bare bones of authentication, especially when not all of us, like you said previously in a different podcast episode, we don't all know every single thing about a deliverability when we're just a customer at an ESP. That's, that's just not something you always need to know. So I think that was a good summary. And if anyone, of course, has any questions about just the basics of that, you can always go ahead and send us a message and let us know if you'd like us to clarify things because it's definitely a lot of information. But this is where we're going to start getting a little bit more detailed, even more than we have so far. So if you're overwhelmed and you don't think you need to know more about SPF or DKIM, just feel free to tune us out. Exactly. I know there might be some people in the industry listening to this or just some email senders who are really interested and they just want to know the inner workings of authentication and what each item means, SPF, DKIM, and DMARC. But not everyone has that sort of curiosity and that's totally fine. So if you are someone who doesn't really care to know anymore, just to sum things up, if you're trying to figure out whether your messages are passing authentication, Send yourself a test out of your ESP, pull the message headers, and look to see 
if SPF, DKIM, and DMARC are passing. If you're not using Gmail, you can find that out by doing control F or command F and just typing in SPF, DKIM, and DMARC and looking to see the results within the headers. We could probably do a whole podcast episode on how to read message headers. I think that's interesting, (laughs) but it gives you more information about the delivery of your email. So the next step, if something's failing, reach out to your ESP. If it's not, you're all set. If DMARC is failing, then it means you need to take another step with your ESP. If you're using ConvertKit, you need to set up a verified sending domain, which is in your settings under email. Okay, so it's about to get nerdy. (laughs) Here's your chance to turn us off. Okay, let's talk first about SPF, which stands for Sender Policy Framework. That is the first kind of authentication that came along. And an SPF record is essentially a list of IP addresses that are allowed to send mail on behalf of your domain. One analogy I have just always used, I don't really know why, but it works, is if someone has a child that goes to a daycare, they might have to give that daycare a list of trusted adults who can pick up the child from daycare. So you might put the grandma on there, your sister, whoever, and that person is a trusted adult who can leave with your child. So that's essentially what an SPF record is. It's saying, I trust these IP addresses and they are allowed to send mail for me. If there is an IP address that's not here, I do not want it to send mail on behalf of my domain. The biggest misunderstanding here is SPF is going to be checked on the return path domain of the message. It shouldn't be checked on that friendly from domain. Just by the rules of the internet, SPF should only be checked for the return path domain. So as Melissa and I mentioned earlier, the return path domain should be your ESP's domain, as long as you haven't set up some other sort of setting. So if you're using an ESP, SPF should always work for you because the IP address belongs to the ESP and the ESP is going to take care of the SPF record on that return path domain. Your friendly from address shouldn't be involved in that process at all. Some instances where SPF might fail, even when you have everything set up and your ESP also has everything set up perfectly, is if your subscriber is doing something strange or just maybe they forwarded the message or they have a firewall in place. So what I mean by that, let's say I am going to send an email to Melissa and then she wants to forward it to her friend. So the message I sent to Melissa was authenticated with SPF perfectly. But then when she goes to forward the message to her friend, she's using her IP address now. But the return path address stays uh, my return path address from the original email. Since her IP address isn't in my SPF record, SPF would fail in that situation if her infrastructure isn't set up properly. So that's one instance where SPF could fail. And it's a similar situation if they have a firewall in place or some sort of spam filter that intercepts the email because the message is going to be authenticated properly, but it gets sent to the spam filter first or that firewall that intercepts the message. And then when the message is sent from that firewall back to the subscriber, it's using the firewall's IP address, which again is not in my SPF record. So SPF could fail. 
Although there have been some technological advances that shouldn't make that happen if the firewall and the forwarding person has the right settings in place, that really shouldn't be an issue. That's going to be more of an outlier and will happen every now and then, but it isn't something you should be super concerned about. So much back and forth. Yes, always. Email is a lot more complicated than people think. There's so many different parties involved in so many different ways that things could go wrong. But for the most part, SPF, if you're using an ESP, isn't something you should be super concerned about. But I have worked with people outside of ConvertKit who just need some help with maybe even their Gmail addresses or emails failing SPF. My husband is an example. My husband sent me an email the other day, and whenever he sent it to me, there was a red question mark kind of icon next to his sender address. And I was like, you're married to a deliverability (laughs) specialist. You cannot have you know, an email problem. That's embarrassing. That is so So, funny. (laughs) I had to help him. I had to fix the headers. Well, actually, I pulled the headers and I saw the SPF was failing. And he had some sort of weird plugin set up with his Gmail. And that plugin was actually sending the email. And he didn't have that plugin's IP address listed in his SPF record. So I had to help him update his SPF. And we got it fixed. But so I honestly, I would say I see more SPF issues with people's just personal emails, like out of your Gmail account. So if you're listening, that's something you might want to look into. But if you're sending from an ESP, it's less likely that you're ever going to see your SPF fail. The only other time that I've seen SPF say anything other than pass or fail is sometimes it will say neutral. And through ConvertKit specifically, that means you probably set up a verified sending domain at some point And those records are no longer valid in your DNS settings. So if you do pull the headers and you see maybe that the SPF says neutral, that might be something to look at. It could be anything from like just maybe something accidentally got removed or whatever, but that is something that you can look at. Just make sure that your records from the verified sending domain are correct in your DNS settings. Yeah, exactly. I would say that's one of the toughest things we see customers have an issue with when it comes to just DNS records and setting up a verified sending domain is somehow I think someone must, you know, have their login. They have multiple people on their team and someone ends up deleting the records that they really need for authentication to pass and for their verified sending domain to work. So that is a good thing to keep in mind if you're going to be adding um, any kind of records to your DNS. Just be sure that anyone who also has a login understands that those records need to stay there. They might look a little crazy, but they're very important. Good point. So the big problem with SPF, you're probably wondering, if SPF is so great, why do we have DKIM and DMARC? Well, like we mentioned, SPF is checked on the return path domain. It has nothing to do with your friendly from domain. So a savvy spammer can put their own domain in that return path domain and have it pass SPF perfectly, but still use your domain in the friendly from or PayPal's domain or whoever they want to spoof. And that's what subscribers are seeing. They're seeing the friendly from. We don't expect the average email user to receive an email from PayPal and then immediately pull the message headers to see what the return path domain is. So it just, you know, it has good intentions, but it didn't solve the actual issue. Spoofing the friendly from address was still really common. So DKIM came along 
And DKIM stands for Domain Keys Identified Mail. And this one is a little bit, uh, I think, harder to understand the exact technical inner workings, but essentially it uses a public key and a private key to ensure that the person sending the message is verified to send that message and that the message was not tampered with after the message was sent. So a good analogy, let's just pretend I have a package I want to send you, Melissa, and there's a public key that I have just left available and I tell you, you need to use that key to open the box I'm going to give you. So I'm gonna put my own special lock on the box that no one else has access to. No one knows what this lock looks like. I am the only one. So when I send that package to you, I put my special lock on it. And whenever you receive it, you go find the public key that I told you about. Maybe it's at the post office or whatever. And if you are able to unlock the package, you know that I sent it because I'm the only one who has that lock and only your key or the public key will unlock that special lock. But if you go get my public key and you try and open that package and it won't open, that means someone else sent the message and they're pretending to be me. Or along the way, when the message was getting to you, someone tampered with it and opened it before you and then tried to put the lock back on, but they don't have my lock. They used a different lock. I think that's a great analogy. I really like it. It's hard to figure out something that is world, like visual and in the actual world when you're talking about something that is Mm -hmm. extremely complex and happening pretty much over your head in the air. You know, that's like what we think about email. It's like, it's happening up here. How do you explain that? You know, so I think that was great. Oh, cool. Thanks. Oh, it's taking, you know, it's been a lot of practice, a lot of years trying to explain DKIM. So I'm glad that it worked, but That's pretty much what's happening, just, of course, on a technical level. And DKIM is a little bit different in that it's not checked on the friendly from. It's not even checked on the return path. It's checked on a specific domain that is in the DKIM header. It says, essentially, if you're going to use DKIM for email sending, there's a DKIM header in your message. And there is a D equals field. And after D equals comes a domain. So let's say convertkit.com. Whatever it comes after D equals, that domain is what's going to be checked. That's the domain that is inserting the private key into the message. And that's the domain that the receiving server is going to check for the public key. So it's going to say, okay, where's the public key for convertkit.com, for example. It's going to grab that public key and try and unlock the message. And if it unlocks, great. It means the message came from convertkit.com. It was all authorized and no one tampered with it. So pretty similarly to SPF, the issue here is that a spammer can very easily set up DKIM using their own domain and it still is not tied to the friendly from at all. So a savvy spammer can have SPF, authenticated using their own domain in the return path. They can also set up DKIM and have D equals their spammy domain and then put a whole different domain in the friendly from no typical subscriber is going to know what's going on in the background. They're just going to see that friendly from and the message was authenticated. So it gives it some false validity. 
Do you think that's good with DKIM? Are you ready to move for DMARC? Yeah, I think so. I think DMARC is actually one of my favorite things to help customers troubleshoot just because it's, I don't know, it's something that, like you mentioned, not everyone uses DMARC. And it's just kind of a, I don't know, it's not something that's very well known, I think, to most email marketers who aren't like doing their research on that end of things, which is totally not necessary because like Alyssa said, you know, if you're using an ESP, a lot of these things are taken care of for you. Yeah. One thing I meant to mention with DKIM is that if you're using an ESP by default, their domain will be the D equals domain and they're going to take care of DKIM for you. Again, if you do have some sort of different setup, like with ConvertKit, a verified sending domain, then your domain might become that DKIM D equals domain. So DMARC is awesome because it ties in SPF and DKIM that's happening in the background to the friendly from domain, finally. So one quick note about DMARC, it is important and it's really helpful. It's also, I don't want to say it's not for everyone, but it requires just some upkeep and some level of technological even just resources and time. So just, I would be sure if you're someone listening to this and you're not using DMARC, be sure to do your research and make sure it's the right fit for you before proceeding. But in an ideal, you know, any technical person in email, in their ideal world, everyone would use DMARC just because the world would be, the email world would be such a safer place. And I'll talk more about that, but to even discuss what DMARC is and how it works, Essentially, in order to pass DMARC, if you're using DMARC on your domain, the message has to come from a friendly from address that matches the return path domain and SPF passes, or it matches the DKIM signing domain and DKIM passes. You only have to have one of those two. We've been talking about the ConvertKit setup a lot, and in our situation, you would pass both of those things. So you'd have ultimate email alignment, which is awesome. You don't have to have that. So you could just have your domain in the return path and have SPF passing, and it matches your friendly from domain, and you're good. Or the opposite, you can have just DKIM, and the DKIM signing domain matches your friendly from domain. But that just adds one other level to the authentication piece. And it, again, ties it to the friendly from, which is what your subscribers are actually seeing. So it keeps people safe, which is just amazing. So I do have a question for you, but I don't want to get too far ahead. Mm -hmm. So you can tell me like, oh, we'll get to that. But so what (laughs) if I'm just thinking from a customer's point of view, what if I do have a DMARC record set up and that entails me setting up a verified sending domain with ConvertKit? And what if I don't want to heavily rely on my domain? Like if that's something that I know, like maybe in the past I've had deliverability issues and maybe it was something like sending to cold subscribers for a long time and it really hurt my reputation. How would I like, would I just go in and remove the DMARC record? What is the best solution in that case? Yeah, that's a really good question. And we see this come up, I mean, every now and then. So what Melissa is saying is that if you do have a DMARC record on your domain, in order for your messages to pass authentication from your ESP, which is very important, your domain is going to be used in more places of the message than it normally would be. 
So if you're a ConvertKit customer, your domain will be in the friendly from, the return path, and the DKIM signing domain, where ConvertKit's domain would typically be in the return path and the DKIM signing domain. And that just means your email is going to be using your own sender reputation much more heavily. For most senders, this is totally fine and it's a good thing and they have a healthy reputation. Everything is good. But there are some senders who, as soon as they set up a verified sending domain and maybe they're using DMARC and that's why they did it, they see more messages go to the spam folder or their open rates decrease. And we can really clearly see that it's because their domain reputation is not good. Maybe it's damaged in some way and now they're relying on it way more heavily. So you essentially have two options if that's happening to you. You can either, I would say this is probably the best option because it gets to the root issue. First, you can work on your sender reputation and it's going to be a little painful at first. It's not going to be any kind of flip of a switch situation. You're going to have to deal with messages going to spam for a little bit and your open rates being low for a little bit. And you're going to need to commit to cleaning up your list, working on your engagement, and overall building that reputation, probably by sending to your most engaged subscribers only for at least a couple weeks, and then gradually adding more in. So that's work, but that's good work to do. It helps you get into a good place and it's sustainable. It's kind of like what people say about dieting and how, you know, these like crash diets, they might make you lose weight really quickly, but you're probably going to put it right back on in a month because it's not sustainable. So this is the healthy, sustainable way to have success. Right. But we do have those customers who immediately see that once they add a verified sending domain, their messages are going to spam because of their low reputation. And they want to just immediately remove that verified sending domain and go back to using ConvertKit's domain more heavily for their reputation. And I totally get that. And you can do a combination of both. Maybe you switch back to ConvertKit's domain, you don't use DMARC, and you work on your deliverability. And once you have your list cleaned up and you have your reputation repaired, you can go back to using a verified sending domain and add DMARC again. But yeah, I would say if you stay with the VS or the verified sending domain, we call it a VSD for short. So if we say that, that's what we mean. Yeah, it'll just be some time of healing your reputation. Yeah. A little bit of work. Exactly. But it's worth it. So definitely should do that. Yeah, definitely. And there's three types of, I guess you could say, levels of strictness for DMARC records. Yeah. And this is so, this is another really cool thing about DMARC. And it's just very important if you decide to implement DMARC. So there are three different levels of policy. And in DMARC, In your DMARC record, you will decide which policy level you want by saying P equals there's none, quarantine, and fail. So if you say P equals none, that means if DMARC fails, do nothing. So essentially that means if a spammer has my domain and they send emails from it and DMARC is failing, I just let it go to the inbox. It's okay. And we'll talk about why that's there and why that's important. There's P equals quarantine, which means if DMARC fails for any email out there on the internet coming from my domain, send it to the spam folder. If you are using P equals reject, it means if DMARC fails, bounce the message. 
which is the most strict level. You don't even want someone to have a chance to see it in their spam folder. You want it bounced altogether. So the reason why there are these three levels of strictness is for some people, some senders, their domains are just targets. That's the way it is. If we think about PayPal, for example, they have to have a really strict DMARC policy because spammers are just dying to send from paypal.com. And I have seen other senders who you wouldn't even think would be a target of this kind of spoofing. But if you have a reputable brand and a spammer for some reason wants to pretend to be you, then you might really want to have a P equals reject policy if you know that someone is targeting your domain. Maybe you've heard from other people like, hey, I'm getting these weird emails from you and I don't understand like why I'm getting these and you can see it's not actually from you, then you're probably going to want to set up a DMARC record. Because if someone is sending from you and it's not you, they're going to impact your reputation. It could be a reason if you're seeing sudden drops in deliverability and you have done everything right. There's a million different things to do right, but let's say you've done everything right. It's possible someone else is sending from your domain and they're sending spam from your domain and they're tanking your reputation. So this is why DMARC is really great for senders and it helps keep your domain extra secure. But it is a pretty huge jump to go from no DMARC record to just you know, reject all messages that fail DMARC, especially since you have to jump through some hoops to even pass DMARC at a at any ESP. So the steps to implementing DMARC are to first use P equals none, which means DMARC fails do nothing. And a really cool feature of DMARC is that they're actually going to send you notifications about what they're seeing. If you're having DMARC pass for most messages, they're going to tell you where DMARC is failing which is the most helpful part. So especially for large organizations like universities, oftentimes the different departments within the university all use a different ESP or all have so many different sources of mail. So they'll say P equals none for a while. They'll figure out, okay, here's all the messages that are failing DMARC. Those are good emails. Those are our emails. We need all of these people to fix that and to pass DMARC. And then they might see, oh, we also have all these spammers trying to send from us. We'll stop them soon. But first in that P equals none phase, you get all your own ducks in a row and make sure that all of your messages that you authorized are passing DMARC successfully. So once you have been on P equals none for a while and you've seen that none of your legit messages are failing DMARC, you're ready to move to P equals quarantine, which means if DMARC fails, send the message to spam. And that's just a good medium place. And you can keep watching your reports that your DMARC record is sending you. They'll send those via email. Is there a certain amount of time that someone should stay on each level of DMARC? Or is this only to just get those reports in and see which messages are passing and which are not? Yeah, that's a good question. It probably just depends on how much mail you send and how many different sources of mail your domain is sending. But it really, it comes down to the reporting. So whenever you set up your DMARC record, you're going to put an email address in the record. And that's where any notifications about your DMARC failing is going to go to. So I would watch those closely. That's why I say DMARC isn't for everyone, just because Not everyone has the resources to be... Right, take some upkeep. (laughs) Yeah. You have to watch these reports, make sure 
your messages aren't failing. And there's just a lot of work that goes into this. But if you are a smaller sender who doesn't have that many resources, there's a good chance you also aren't using, you know, five different ESPs you have to contact. So typically, it's also still manageable for smaller senders to get DMARC up and running because hopefully you don't have a ton of different streams of mail that are coming from different sources. So once you're confident on P equals quarantine, you've been watching your reports for a while and none of your legit mail is being stopped, you can move on to P equals reject. And that means your domain is really locked up. A spammer won't be able to send a message using your domain in the friendly from unless they're also able to put your domain in the return path and pass SPF or put your domain in the DKIM and pass DKIM, which shouldn't be possible. So DMARC is the ultimate level of security. And that's why if you're using an ESP, you have to reach out to them or follow whatever instructions you can find to be sure your messages pass DMARC because it just requires an extra level of domain alignment that the typical sender isn't going to need. Well, I think that that was a lot. (laughs) It was a lot. It's important stuff, though. It is. Yeah. And I think it's interesting. I always say that people are probably like, well, I don't. (laughs) That's why I do this. Yeah. But if you are interested in this and you're still confused about anything, check out the blog post related to this. You'll be able to find it at convertkit.com slash deliverability. There's also just so many great resources out there. Lots of smart people have talked about this. So do some Googling, do some searching and do some testing maybe. Yes. Do some testing, pull your headers. It's honestly really fun too. Like I think the first few times I did it, I was like, wow, this is interesting. Like when I first started learning about deliverability, I didn't realize there was so much information behind the headers of a message. And it really is helpful just if you're interested in seeing what information you can get about what your sending is like. It's yeah, I think it's a really it's a good practice. Yes, I agree. So if you have any feeling that your authentication might not be passing, pull those headers and it will tell you everything you need to know. Nerding out. <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you all. If you're still here, wow. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. And send your questions to us. We love hearing from you. It really, it makes our experience a lot of fun too, because we love hearing sort of what people are thinking about and what things we can help with. Yeah. One person reached out and said they would love for us to talk about careers in deliverability, which I would love to talk about. And this episode, I think, would be most helpful for someone who is interested in that journey, because if you're going to be a deliverability specialist or maybe you're an email marketing professional and you just want to kind of get specialized in this area this one was helpful for you. You're going to want to know all this. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. I hope you have a great rest of your week and make sure to subscribe if you haven't already and be here next week. Awesome. We'll see you then. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.